Well, for the last couple of uh, weeks, we have been on this series called Reveal. Everyone say Reveal. And we're specifically talking about revelation knowledge. We're talking about things being revealed to us by the Spirit of God. We're talking about something that has to do with not just our natural understanding, not just with our soul, but things that have to do with the realm of the Spirit. So you knowing things of God by God supernaturally so that you can walk in the ways of the Lord in your life. Let's go quickly to our foundational scriptures, Ephesians chapter 1 please. Ephesians, the book of Ephesians chapter 1. And in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, we see Paul praying a prayer to all the people that are in his churches. Ephesians, uh, let me get this, sorry. Ephesians chapter 1, and let's pick up in verse 15. He says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you. Everyone say, may give to me. The spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, one of the important things here is that Paul says that he is praying this on a daily basis. Not just once or twice, not just when he occasionally hears about one of their prayer requests. He says, whether you have a prayer request or not, I am praying this over your life every single day. Not just for one church, but we also see this in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. It says, for, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Again, two different occasions in which Paul says, I am praying this prayer daily. In spite of the fact that there were people in those churches who had other needs, physical needs, financial needs, emotional needs, uh, all kinds of other things that they were dealing with. I'm sure Paul was getting all kinds of prayer requests from all kinds of people. And yet, even though he knows that people are now just being born again from pagan religions, from uh, addictions and different issues that they're dealing with. He's not saying, God, please stop those addictions in their life. He's not saying, God, please break those chains in their life. He's not saying, God, please change their habits. God, please change their hearts. God, please change their minds. He's not asking for behavioral change. What he's praying is, Lord, let their eyes be opened. Let their eyes be opened. Now, we also saw from the book of Acts last week, again, I'll do a quick review. We saw from the book of Acts that when, when uh, uh, Jesus or, or when Paul had an encounter with Jesus, one of the instructions that Jesus gives him is he doesn't say go and convert people. He doesn't say go and bless people. He doesn't say go and heal people. He says go and open the eyes of people. Now, not that God is not, is not after people getting saved, not that God is not interested in people not being blessed, not that God is not interested in people not being healed. He wants all of those things to happen, but he knows also that the foundation for all of those things to happen is the eyes of people being opened. And that's why Paul begins to preach the gospel so that eyes will be open, and Paul begins to pray this prayer for the new convert to all the way to the seasoned believer. He's praying this prayer over and over and over again on a daily basis. Why? Because he knows the importance of eyes being opened. Now, a couple of things that we said last week, you know, one of the principal roles of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to uncover and reveal the Word of God to us. So, we're not left by ourselves in this entire process. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, when I go away, the Holy Spirit, He will come and guide you into all truth. So he is with us, and because the Holy Spirit is with us, we can have the expectation that we will walk in this supernatural wisdom and revelation knowledge that comes from God himself. We also said that the process of revelation is the transition from head knowledge to... Come on, head knowledge to... 
heart knowledge, from head knowledge to heart knowledge. Why? Because if it is only in the head, it is not yet being, uh, uh, it has not yet gotten to a place where you are established in the truth that you have heard. It has entered your life, truth has been introduced to your life, however, it does not mean you are established in the truth that has been introduced to you. So we understand that it is not just something of the head, but it has to move from head knowledge to heart knowledge. Alright? And then we also saw the example of the difference when you are only living by head knowledge and when it becomes heart knowledge. We saw the example from the sons of seven sons of Sceva. They saw Paul uh, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, praying and casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And though they say, okay, this is a great money-making idea. And so let us also start doing this and let's start advertising. And so they made flyers. They posted on their social media accounts and they said, come, come, every demon-possessed person, come into this place and we'll do what we're supposed to do. And all of them came. And, and in this one person, what happened is they said, in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, be cast out. They didn't have great results that day. Right? Because why? They were beaten and they were bruised and they were sent out naked onto the streets. One guy does that to seven people. Now, same word, they use the same name, they use the same name of Jesus, and yet one did it with head knowledge, the other, other did it with heart knowledge. See, Paul was absolutely persuaded with this truth that the name of Jesus carried power and authority. And because he knew that, in his heart, not just in his head. Because it was not just introduced to the head, but it then moved down to the heart level. And once, he, that, once that happened, he began to preach, demons began to leave, and he saw results in his life. Amen? So, with all of that being said, let's go a little deeper today. Let's dig deep. Go with me to Luke chapter 6, please. Luke chapter 6. And let's pick up in verse 47. Luke 6, 47. It says, I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays a foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a, without a foundation. When the floods sweep, against, uh, oh, sorry, sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. Now, I'm pretty sure almost everyone that is here and everyone that's watching us online, for the most part, the majority of you have already read this portion of scriptures multiple times in your life and you have heard this multiple times. However... We've also understood that the process of getting revelation knowledge is what? Is digging deep into things that you have already heard before. And so even though you've heard of this, even though we've read it several times before, even though I've preached on it, you might have heard other preachers and pastors preach on it, we're going to dig deep into this and see what we need to learn from this scripture and how it relates to revelation knowledge. See, because the reality is this, again, no matter what country I preach in, no matter who listens to the message, no matter what language it is, the reality is that every human being wants to build a successful life. The reality is every human being, doesn't matter caste, doesn't matter religion, doesn't matter the color of your skin, doesn't matter the language you speak, doesn't matter the food you eat, none of those things matter. Every human being wants a life of peace, of joy, and they want to see success in their life. Now, there might be differences in the details of what that looks like, but everyone is aspiring to be a successful person. Everyone wants that. However, we also know that not everyone lives a successful life. Not everyone lives a life of peace and joy and uh, uh, success when it comes to the end of their days. Now, Jesus is saying something here. Uh, I'll read it from the Amplified Version this time. It says, For everyone who comes to me and listens to my words in order to heed their teachings and does them, I will show you what he is like. Now, there's a three-step process that Jesus is talking about here. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, come to him. Come to Jesus. Because he says, for anyone who comes to me. Number two, he says, listen to my words. 
So number one, come to Jesus. Number two, listen to Jesus or listen to the words of Jesus. And number three, do what he says. Do what he says. So Jesus is speaking and, and, and Jesus says, hey, listen, for those of you who want to build a successful life, for those of you who want to accomplish certain things in life, here's what needs to happen. If you come to me, number one, if you listen to my words, number two, if you do what I'm asking you to do or telling you to do, there, if you do these three things, this is what your life looks like. He says, what does that life look like? He says, I will show you what he is like. He says, he is like a man building a house who dug and went down deep and laid a foundation. Now, who dug and went down deep means it is a process. It's not an overnight thing. It is not, I come to Jesus today, then I hear what he says, and then I do one thing, and then bam, I want it to happen. No. He's not saying, just come to me and everything will change. No. He doesn't say, come to me and hear me and everything will change. No. Coming to Jesus, very good thing. Coming to Jesus and hearing his word, very good thing. But not done. Process not done. See, you can, you, it, it's like if you want to get into college, you can get the application, very good. You can fill the application, very good. But if you keep the application in your house, how many of you are getting into that college? Nobody. And yet somehow when it comes to the spiritual aspect of life, oh, I came to church. Why didn't it happen? Oh, I have a Bible in my house. It's on my shelf. Why didn't it happen? Oh, I kept the Bible under my pillow and slept. Why didn't it happen? Oh, I have a poster of a verse. Why didn't it happen? I'll tell you why. The process is not done. You didn't get the job. You didn't get into the college because the application is still in your house. Good thing you came to Jesus. Good thing you're listening to Jesus. But are you doing anything with what he is telling you or saying because if you're not doing anything with what he's saying you're not part of the process you're not taking part in the process now he says he is like a man who dug went down deep and laid a foundation upon the rock upon the rock now when you hear those words upon the rock something else should come to your remembrance in this series because the first time Peter ever said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, who is the church? Come on, it's not a trick question. Okay, we are the church. Amen? We are the church. I said this before, uh, maybe in the first week or the second week of this uh, um, uh, series. We are the church. He says, upon this rock, I will build my church. So upon, Jesus is saying, upon this rock, I will build you up. Okay? Now here he says, a person who comes to me, listens to my word, and does them, he's laying a foundation upon the rock. The rock of what? Somebody said it. Say it loud. Be bold. I heard that. Revelation knowledge. Upon this rock I will build my church. Here he says, the man who is coming to me, listening to me, and, do, and is doing what I'm telling him to do. What, what's happening? He's coming, he comes with the shovel, and he is digging. And he is digging. Digging to what point? Not till he's tired. He is digging to the point till he hits the rock. Are you understanding that? He's not just digging till, you know, he feels good and then starts building the house. You, you, you don't build a house based on your feelings. 
See, if you're trying to build your first house or something like that, a special house, and, and you've, you've saved up all of this money, and you're excited, and the, the engineer comes, and, and, and he says, like, uh, uh, you know, did you do anything before? Uh, no, 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 this will be my first project. And uh, did you study engineering? No, 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 I, but I can do it. How do, no, I, I, I just have the right feeling I can do it. How many of you will give, give that responsibility to that guy? No, why? Because you want him to know exactly how deep it needs to go. You want him to know exactly where the foundation needs to be laid. Why? Because you're not trying to go by feelings. Well, Jesus said, if you come to me, if you listen to my words, and if you keep doing what I'm telling you to do. We saw in the book of John, he who continues in my word, he will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus here, he's saying directly, he says, now if you keep digging, the guy who keeps digging and digging and digging until he hits the rock. That guy, what's doing? On that rock of revelation knowledge, that's where he's building his house. Now, if he's building his house upon revelation knowledge, here's what's going to happen. He says, and when a flood arose, the torrent broke against that house. Now, please get this again. A misconception is that if I'm building my house upon the words of Jesus, if I'm doing what Jesus is telling me to do, then no bad thing will happen to me. Wrong answer. Jesus never said that. Jesus said the floods will still come. So what? He says, the floods arose, they broke against that house and could not. Everyone say could not. They could not shake or move it. Could not shake or move it. Now, what's the reason for there being no shaking or moving? He says, could not shake or move. Because it has been securely built or founded upon a rock. Now read it this way. Because it has been built or securely built upon revelation knowledge. Because that person's life was built on revelation knowledge. It was not merely a person trying to build their life on their own. On their own wisdom, on their own understanding, on their psychology. Or the courses that they read in college. Or, or, or what the latest professor has said. Or what the latest uh, uh, so, uh, uh, psychology studies have revealed to us. No, he goes back to the wisdom of God and builds his life upon the wisdom of God. Not based on what the latest guru is saying, but based upon what the word is saying. And because he's building upon revelation knowledge, he says, yes, the floods will come. Of course they will come. Yes, they will beat uh, uh, against the walls of the house. Of course they will. But he says, it will not shake. It will not move because it's built on revelation knowledge. Now, I said every one of us have a desire to have a successful life. So every one of us tries to build a life. And look at what it says in verse 49. Verse 49 says, but he who merely hears and does not practice. Now, we might not like to hear this, but here's the reality. Majority of Christians are in this category. I know we don't want, I mean, we, we don't like to hear that. We don't like to think about that. The reality is the majority of Christians fall in this category. The category is, but he who merely hears. Why is it that so many people are attending church? Millions of people, billions of people this morning will be attending church, whether in person or online around the world. Why is it that so many will attend? And yet, once it comes to actual practice in their life, so few actually do. So few actually do. Because they're merely hearing the word. And here's what happens. See, the, the ones that merely hear the word, they're not lazy guys who don't want to do anything. They are people who hear the word and do things in their own understanding. And so here he says, they who merely hears uh, and does not practice doing my words is like a man who built a house. So he's also building a house. Who built a house on the ground without a foundation. Now, even if you're not a civil engineer, how many of you know that's not a good idea? Now, for the guy who's building it, say, oh, foundation, man, that's too, you know, too much digging, too much cost, too much time. I just want a house. I want it now. I want a house. I want it now. I want a house. I want it now. So no time for, for, for foundation. Come on, let's just build. And, it, and it's exciting. 
Because the, the guy who's doing this, he's going to see the house being built faster than the guy who's building the foundation. And so you go to both the construction sites. And one guy, he has nothing to show. In fact, he, has, he just has a big hole to show. Where's the bedroom? Where's the kitchen? Like, I don't see anything. I just see a big hole. You want to live in this hole? I thought you were building a house. All I see is a big hole. And but you go to the other campsite, the other construction site. This guy has the walls coming up and it looks nice. And you already see where the bedroom is going to be. You already see where the kitchen is going to be. You already see where the living room is going to be. He already has the plan for the theater room. He already has the plan for the, the game room. He already has the plan for all of these nice things. The gym room, okay, I see the muscles going up here. And so the, the gym room, all of these things. You see the car garage, you see everything. You think, man, this guy is going fast in life. Man, this guy is a successful guy. He's building it super fast. And yet, here's what's going to happen, he says. But he's building it without a foundation, against which the torrent burst. And immediately, everyone say immediately. Immediately, immediately it collapsed and fell. And, breaking, and, and the breaking and ruin of that house was great. It was great. The ruin was great. The ruin was great. Now he says that both were building, one built without a foundation, one built it with a foundation, upon the foundation of revelation knowledge. My friends, the reason why we're going through this series is because I don't want you to simply get excited about one testimony in your life. See, people who get excited about one miracle happening in their life, one testimony happening in their life, are like the people who are building without any kind of foundation. And we get excited about it. And yet the reality is, the floods are coming. The floods are coming. Oh, pastor, don't say that to uh, The floods are coming. And they'll keep coming all the days of your life. They'll keep coming all the days of your life. The question is, are you going to be in a position to withstand the floods of life? And so here he says, Jesus says, you keep coming, you keep hearing, and it will happen. Go with me to Psalm uh, 112, please. Psalm 112. See, putting into action what you hear is a vital part and a vital part of receiving revelation knowledge. Doing what you are hearing, doing what Jesus is telling you, doing what the Word is saying. See, faith is an action word. Faith is a verb, it's not a noun. It's an action word. That means if you, if you get faith, you've got to do something with it. Yes, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But if you don't do anything with the faith that you've been given, if you're not doing or if you're not putting into practice, it'll all go to waste. It'll all go to waste. You, you'll become a, a collector of seed, never enjoying the harvest. The seed is the word of God. And yes, you'll be hearing message after message. But if you don't do anything with what you are hearing, if you're constant, yes, you're here, but then you conform yourself to the mediocrity of the world. Yes, you're here, but you conform you, yourself to the thinking patterns of the world. Yes, you hear the word, but at the same time you conform yourself to fear. Yes, you hear the word, at the same time you conform yourself to doubt and unbelief. Never take the step. Guess what? You're not going to ever receive revelation knowledge. See, I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, I think 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. See, every one of us should have somebody in our life that we can imitate. I'm talking about specifically in the area of faith. See, sometimes you may not know what you're supposed to know in an issue of life, but if you know somebody 
that walks by faith, then you can simply imitate their faith, and by imitating their faith, you begin to walk in higher realms and higher dimensions of faith. Why? Because automatically you start doing what their example has been set by them, by, you know, some, somebody that is set in your life by God, and you start doing that, and then understanding begins to come. And then revelation begins to come. The, see, it, putting into practice what Jesus is telling you is so very important and so very vital in your life. So don't just be people who just listen to the word and be satisfied with a good message. Be people who are actually putting into practice. Putting into practice what you are hearing. Psalm 112, please. And um, let's go to verse 1. It says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. Now, who delights greatly in, in his commandments is simply talking about the man who digs deep. See, if you're delighting in something, you spend time doing what you are delighting in. So here David says, blessed is the man who delights greatly in the Lord. So blessed is the man who is actually hearing and doing what God is saying. All right. Then in verse 2, 3, 4, 5, he talks about all the blessings that come upon his life. Let's just jump down to verse 6 for, for sake of time. Verse 6 he says, surely he will never be shaken. See, the guy who digs, the guy who delights in the Word of God, the guy who actually begins to do what the Word of God says, he is, surely he will never be shaken. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. It does not say that evil tidings will not come. But it simply says he will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Now, Pay attention, it doesn't say his head is steadfast. It's not his head. It's the heart that is steadfast in the Lord. Why? Because he's walking by revelation knowledge. He's walking by revelation knowledge and therefore his heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord, verse 8. His heart is established, he will not be afraid. His heart is established. The question is, is your heart established this morning are our hearts established in the truth of the Word of God because if our hearts are not established we will be shaken if our hearts are not established we'll be asking the wrong questions if our hearts are not established we will be moving in the wrong direction if our hearts are not established we will be easily shaken easily moved easily moved out of the things that God has for our lives now, revelation knowledge, if you're taking notes, write this down. Revelation knowledge changes the course of your life. Revelation knowledge changes the course of your life. It reshapes, recalibrates, and redirects you. It reshapes you. When you have an encounter with the truth of the Word of God, when something becomes revelation knowledge to you, it reshapes you. It reshapes your thinking. It recalibrates you. See, there are certain instruments where they're calibrated to do certain things, but every now and then you have to recalibrate them. Why? Because they were working a certain way, but they were getting slightly deviated. And now you have to recalibrate them, and once you recalibrate, they work again in the way they're supposed to. It, that, that, that's something that happens, need, needs to happen with us as well. We need to be constantly recalibrated by the Word of God, and revelation knowledge does that to us. See, for example, uh, um, you know, even, you know, last week I, I gave you, let, let me do this. Last week I gave you the example of a, a, a bottle being filled with, just, just give me, yeah, all right. Of a bottle being filled with water, right? Now, the problem is, once we become a new creation in Christ, and once we start getting the Word of God, a lot of times when you are a baby Christian, and you keep getting the Word of God, and you keep getting the Word of God, you keep getting the Word of God, you will get to the point where it begins to overflow, and you have revelation knowledge. Now, the, the, the 
the dangerous point or the deception in the cases of many people is this. They think that once I've gotten or received revelation knowledge as in the beginning, they think that is enough for life or people will think it is the same amount of word will be, which will be enough to receive revelation knowledge even in the future. However, the reality is you are growing up in the things of God, which means you're going to face bigger challenges, greater issues, and you're going to have to deal with bigger things and greater things. How many, like once you get on the main road, Gachiboli, High Tech City, all of the financial district area, you see like a bunch of different buildings being built. Some of them are only two stories high, some of them 20 stories high, some of them even higher. How many of you know the foundation for each one of those buildings is not the same? It's not the same. But however, a lot of times when it comes to the Christian faith, we think, oh, no, 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 when I got saved, Pastor, you don't know, uh, I, I just went to one healing meeting and one uh, message and, and God healed me of my headache and it just happened just like that. Well, praise God, it happened just like that. But that doesn't mean five years later when there's a bigger issue in your life does not mean that one message might be enough for you. Why? Because you're building something bigger. You're no longer a little child anymore. And so therefore, the same level is not going to be sufficient. And so this time, it's not one message. It may have to be five messages. It may have to be ten messages. It has to increase. And the next time, it's a bigger challenge. Don't think, okay, five messages should be enough. Or five times of listening to a message is, is enough. Maybe, may not be depending on what you're dealing with. And therefore, if that's not enough, guess what? Then it needs to keep going, it needs to keep going, it needs to keep going, and you keep going until it begins to overflow in your life. It, it, you, you've got to keep preaching to yourself and you've got to keep hearing the Word of God until... Pastor, oh, I can't... Pastor, you don't know. When I was so young and when I came into the Lord, Pastor, I just listened to one thing and it happened so quickly. I don't know why God has left me. I don't know why God doesn't love me. I don't know why God doesn't do things for me like He used to do before. No. It has nothing to do with God. You've grown. You're dealing with different situations. Are you understanding that? And so what you've got to do is understand that the principle remains the same irrespective of your timing and irrespective of the challenge that you are facing. And so what you've got to understand is if the principal aspect of life is I come to Jesus, I listen to his word and I do it. For how long? All the days of your life. See if your mindset is I do this all the days of my life, then you are no longer bound by time. But if, if, but if your whole understanding is I just do it till I get my job, I just do it till I get married. I just do it till I have my baby. I just do it till I have my car. I just do it till I get my visa. I just do it till I become famous. I just do it till I get my bonus. Then you're always conscious of time, 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 time. And when will it happen? When will it happen? When will it happen? Why are you worried? Why are you worried about time? See, if, if you're a Christian, if you're a disciple, your attitude should be, irrespective of time, my life goes through this process. I come to Jesus, I listen and I do. I come to Jesus, I listen and I do. I come to Jesus, I listen and I do. How long will you do this? Come on, how long will you do this? All the days of your life. And if you keep doing this all the days of your life, guess what? It does not matter if the other person's house looks good. If it looks like he's going faster than you. It doesn't matter. Why? Because you know you're doing what the skyscraper needs. You know that you're building a strong foundation. And you know you need revelation knowledge to where you are going. And because of that you keep pouring until it overflows until it overflows. See, again, for example, the, the life of Peter has been our primary example when it comes to revelation knowledge in this series. Right? Peter said, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus responds, he says, upon this rock I will build my church. Do you know that even though Peter had that amazing revelation work in his life, that it was not enough for him? 
Even though he lived with Jesus for all of those years, doing ministry, living with him, traveling with him, eating with him, sleeping with him, doing all of these things, that was not enough. Go with me to the book of Acts chapter 10. Let's go there quickly. Acts chapter 10. And um, in Acts chapter 10, I'll, I'll try to read this. I would encourage you to read the entire chapter, but I'll, I'll try to skim through this as fast as possible. Now, we're dealing with a man called Cornelius, who was a Gentile, and we're dealing with Peter, who is a Jewish man. All right? Two different people, two different backgrounds. So Cornelius, a Gentile, Peter, a Jew. In uh, verse... All right, let me start off in verse 1, and I'll try to go quickly. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a, uh, a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, after about 3 o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel coming to, toward him, saying, Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius start, uh, started... Uh, sorry, stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, Your prayers and the gifts uh, uh, to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send, me, send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. Now, so Cornelius, a Gentile, but a God-fearing man, is doing what a God-fearing man would do. He's being generous to the poor. He's uh, uh, giving offerings unto the Lord. And, and he's living a righteous life as much as possible the way he knew how to at that point. All right? Remember, he was not a Christian, but a God-fearing man who was trying to live his life based on what he knew. And in that moment, one day, he has a vision from God, a, a, or, or, or sorry, an encounter with an angel, and the angel gives him specific instructions. He says, go send people and call this man Simon Peter and bring him to where you are. All right? Let's jump down to verse 9. Verse 9 says, The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went upon the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat them. No, Lord, uh, uh, Peter declared. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? Just then the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house standing outside the gate. Alright? Everyone understands the story so far. Cornelius has an encounter with an angel, given an instruction. Cornelius sends his servants uh, and says, go to uh, Joppa, find Simon Peter and bring him to me because that's the instruction that I've received from the angel of the Lord. While they're going there, Peter has this vision. And in this vision, all kinds of animals are shown upon this uh, 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 you know, bedsheet kind of uh, thing. What does he say? A curtain? Uh, yeah, a curtain. And then, and, 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 and the voice says, God says, eat. Go ahead and kill. And you're hungry. You're a hungry man. And, and, and at this time, go ahead and eat. And, and Peter replies and says, no, 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 no. I'm not going to eat. Why? Because I'm a Jewish guy and I've kept the law. And so because even though you're telling me to eat, I'm not going to eat. Right? Now, who's telling him to eat? God. And Peter is answering him in this vision, in this trance, and he says, no, 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 I'm not going to do it. Why? Because I'm a Jewish boy. And Jewish boys don't eat these kinds of unclean foods. I mean, this is like equivalent to talking to a Brahmin and saying, hey, have this beef biryani. Uh-uh, not going to happen. Why? Because of how I grew up, because of what I know. It's not going to happen. I'm not going to eat it. And Jesus, why? Because it is unclean. Everyone say unclean. So in the mind of Peter, there were certain things as clean foods and there were certain things as unclean foods. Now, he wakes up out of this, he's perplexed, the Bible says. He has no idea what happened. He has no idea what this really means. By this time, the people from Cornelius come and they, you know, the, the, they go back and forth and then finally they get to Cornelius' place. Let's pick up in verse 25, verse 25. 
It says, as Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, stand up, I am a human being just like you. So they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. Peter told them, you know it is against our law for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. Like I said before, Cornelius was a Gentile man, Peter was a Jewish man. And everything that was happening and everything that Peter was doing, he was basing it upon Jewish teachings. I want you to get this. Because this is happening in the book of Acts. Which means, this is happening after Peter lived with Jesus for several years. Seeing the miracles that he's seen. He walked on water. He saw Jesus being crucified. He saw Jesus being raised from the dead. He was the one who said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He saw how Jesus interacted with people. He saw how Jesus healed people. He saw how Jesus loved people. Seeing all he saw, living the way he lived with Jesus, hearing the gospel of Jesus, he comes to this man and he says, firstly in the vision he says, I'm not going to eat it because that's unclean food. Now he comes to this man and he says, you know I'm not supposed to come to your house, right? You know I'm not supposed to interact with you this way. Why? Yes, of course, because that's what the Jewish scriptures have told me. But why? What, what's the... What's the foundation behind it? Because in his eyes, you are not worthy of me coming into your house. I'm clean, you're unclean. I'm righteous, you're unrighteous. Right? There's a difference. There's a separation. This from the man who lived with Jesus. From the man whose mouth revelation knowledge flowed. Now then he says in the same verse, again... Peter told them, you know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate. But God, everyone say, but God. But God has shown me. Shown me meaning he saw something new. His eyes were being opened to something that they were shut to. Now he says, but God has shown me I should no longer think of anyone as, un as unpure or unclean. Wait a minute, Peter, you, you did not understand this after living three years with Jesus? Apparently he didn't. Are you, are you getting this? Apparently he didn't. Apparently many of us don't. He says, now God has shown me. When? When he had that vision. The clean food, unclean food. It had nothing to do with food. God was showing him something that he needed to see more clearly. Now he knew that God loves everybody. He knew that Jesus came into this world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He knew that. He knew he was the Messiah, which means he came specifically to save people. He saw Jesus touching unclean people. He saw with his eyes Jesus going into the house of Zacchaeus, an unclean man. Peter, you, you're trying to tell me you lived with Jesus, talked with Jesus, ate with Jesus, saw that the woman with the issue of blood touched him. He never cursed her. You saw that he went into the house of Zacchaeus and he never cursed him. You saw that, the, that Mary Magdalene brought, brought the, uh, uh, the, the, the perfume and, and broke it upon his feet and, and, his, and her hair touched his feet. You saw all of these things happening. You saw the woman caught in adultery. And you saw him never cursing. You saw the conversation. You heard the conversation that he had with the woman at the well. And you never got this? You never got this, Peter? You never 
forgot the fact that God is no respecter of person? You never got the fact that religion doesn't matter to God? You never got the fact that color of skin doesn't matter to God? You never got the fact that caste system doesn't matter to God? You never got the fact that education levels don't matter to God? You never got the fact that economic levels don't matter to God, Peter? Apparently, it did not get to Peter. But he got it now. And that's why revelation knowledge is a lifetime process. It's a lifetime process. There's no such thing as a Christian who has arrived. No such thing. No such thing as a Christian who has arrived. Well, I know everything in the Bible. Well, I know, uh, yeah, 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 everything, everything, everything. I know exactly. No, you don't. No, you don't. It's a process. And now he says, but God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection. As soon as I was sent for, now tell me why you sent for me. See, which means without that vision, without Peter seeing what he needed to see in that vision, Peter would not have taken this invitation. Peter would have said, sorry, not coming. Go back to your boss. But now because he saw something that he did not see before, now he says, wait a minute, I'm coming right away. I'm coming right away. And he goes. Then, then Cornelius begins to tell Peter all that he saw in the encounter that he had with the angel. And he talks about that. And then verse 33. Uh, sorry, verse 34. Then after hearing everything that Cornelius had to say, verse 34, he says, Then Peter replied, I see very clearly. Everyone say very clearly. See, first he said, I, God has shown me. Before God showed him, he heard certain things. But now God showed him, he says, and now he says, I see very clearly. That means he says, look, you know, I saw the vision. My eyes have been opened. But now after what you're saying and what I saw in that vision and now what you're saying and I'm putting these two things together and now more than ever before, I see very clearly. What do you see clearly, Peter? That God shows no favoritism. Other translation says that God is no respecter of persons. Meaning what? Meaning that no matter your background, you can always come to God and come to Him in faith and all things are possible unto Him. That means when God looks upon you, He doesn't say, oh Hindu, oh Muslim, oh Christian, oh, 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 oh atheist, or oh, oh, you know, belonging to this caste or that caste, or oh, oh, fair-skinned people, dark-skinned people, brown-skinned people, yellow-skinned people, or He doesn't say less educated, more educated, He doesn't say good-looking and average-looking and bad-looking, He doesn't, no categories in God. He says, there's no respecter of person. Anyone can cry out to God. And he says, now I understand the gospel, that anyone can cry out to God and God will receive. Anyone can believe in God and God will receive. Anyone can place their faith in Jesus. It doesn't matter what kind of history you've had. You can place your faith in Jesus and instantly you are in his courts. You are in his presence. There's no respecter of persons. But, but Peter had to go through this process. He had to get to the place where he saw it. And I'm showing that to you because we need to understand that there is so much more for us to see in our lives. So much more that we've got to receive in our lives. See again, even, for example, even when it comes to the caste system thing, we, we're, so many Christians in India still try to live based on their caste system. Oh, I'm not going to marry. Oh, yes, Pastor. Everything is great. Everything is great. You know, uh, they have the right job and, you know, I like the way she looks and, you know, uh, everything's worked great. I mean, she comes to the right church and she believes. Yeah, but Pastor, I, I, I just, after seeing all of that and, yeah, I, I even talked with her, Pastor, and it was great, but uh, um, I came to know a little later, Pastor, that, uh, what is it? Yeah, what's the problem? Uh, pastor. <laughs> no, what's wrong with her? Uh, different caste. Different caste. 
Christians, I'm not talking about Hindus. I mean, it's the right thing for them to do. I'm talking about Christians. It's the wrong caste. Doesn't mean you're not a Christian, but at the same time, that means eyes have not been opened. Eyes have not been opened. Or they're less of me, you know, you know, Pastor, I have a PhD and, you know, they're, you know. So does that mean you treat them differently? Are you understanding what I'm saying? So things have to be revealed to us. Amen? Go with me quickly to Romans chapter 8. Let's go quickly. Romans chapter 8. Oh, okay. Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 35. See, just like Peter was convinced of certain things, Paul was also convinced of certain things. Paul says, Romans chapter 8 and verse 35, he says, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Now that's a question. See, Romans chapter 8 is a powerful chapter. He writes amazing truths. And after writing all of these things, he comes to the point, he says, Can anything, after knowing about the grace of God, after knowing what he has done, after knowing the depths of his love, after knowing the depths of his grace, he, he asks the question, Can anything that separate us from the love of, uh, separate us from Christ's love? Look at what he says now. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble? I mean, think about that question. He says, does it mean that God no longer loves us if we're going through trouble? You know what the majority of Christians will think? Yes, God doesn't love me. That's why this is happening. Isn't that the truth? No, no, no. I mean, isn't that the truth that people think that way? Majority of people think that God, because God doesn't love me anymore, because God doesn't love me the way he used to love me, this is why this stuff is happening. And Paul is saying, what can separate us from the love of God? He's asking a rhetorical question. He says, what can separate us from the love of God? He says, does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Threatened with death. Well, pastor, I prayed for them and yet they died. What does that prove? Does that prove God doesn't love? Does that prove that his promises are failing? Does that prove his word no longer prevails? Has no correlation whatsoever. Then he says, verse 36, as the scripture says, for your sake we were killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. Verse 37, no. That's the response Paul has. No. Despite all these things, he's not saying these things are not happening. He says, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Verse 38, he says, I am convinced. Everyone say convinced. In the Amplified Version, he says, for I am persuaded beyond doubt. I'm persuaded, be uh, but Paul, didn't you get arrested? I am persuaded beyond doubt. Paul, didn't you get a shipwreck? I am persuaded beyond doubt. Paul, don't you have your back being broken because, they, because of the way you were punished? I am persuaded beyond doubt that nothing that I'm going through in this life has anything to do with how much God loves me. He says, I'm persuaded by this. I am convinced of this. Which means what? It is revelation knowledge to him. It's revelation. And because it's revelation, he says, there might be times where he cries in the middle of the night. There might be times where he can't go to bed because his, his back is hurting so much. There might be times where there is, there is sickness in his body because of the way he had to be shipwrecked. And he's out in the cold, on the beach, or in the ocean, and not knowing what's going to happen. There are times when those things happen. But he says, none of these things can convince me that God doesn't love me anymore. Why? Because he did not build his house upon sand. 
His life and ministry were being built on revelation knowledge. And he, so he says, there is nothing. And then in verse 39 he says, or, or sorry, verse 38, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Verse 39, no power in the sky above or in the earth below. He says, no power. You know what no power means? No power. No power. That means it doesn't matter if you go to a new land and they come up with some other kind of spiritual power. Okay, we live in India and we're, we're used to certain things like we, or we hear about things like black magic and we hear things like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Vastu and we hear things like uh, uh, witchcraft and other things. Well, you go to uh, 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 a continent like Africa and you'll hear even weirder things. You go to South America, you'll hear weirder things. And so he says, Paul says, I don't care what part of the world you are. He says, no power in the sky above. Oh, pa pa pastor, you don't know how powerful that God is. You don't know how powerful that God is. He says, no power from the sky above. Amen. Or pastor, you don't know how powerful the devil is. You don't know how powerful the devil uh, or, or the hell is. He says, no power in the sky above or, on, or in the earth below. He says, indeed, nothing in all creation. Look at the, the, the depth of his revelation. Look at how deep he dug regarding the love of God for his life. He's saying, he's not just convinced of the fact that, oh, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. It's not just a Sunday school song for him. He says, no, I've been through the shipwreck. Yes, my back is hurting right now. Yes, they, they, they're th uh, threatening me to put to death. Yes, they're about to behead me. But in all of these things, I have overwhelming victory, he says. In all of these things, I know that I'm loved by God, he says. In all of these things, I know that no power in hell, no power from the sky, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is what? That is revealed. That is revealed. That is revealed. He's saying, you cannot, there, there's nothing in the created order that can separate you from the love of God that is revealed. I don't know if you got that. I'll say that again. What he's saying, he, he's not saying that you will not be separated from the love of God. Because if you're convinced in your heart that God doesn't love you, then you will live like God doesn't love you. What he's saying is, Nothing in the created order can separate you from the love of God that is revealed. Okay, I saw some people get it. I'll say that one more time. He's not saying that you will never be separated from the love of God because you can choose to be separated from the love of God. But he's saying, but nothing can separate you from the love of God that is revealed to you by Christ Jesus or through Christ Jesus. See, once it becomes revelation knowledge, yes, they might arrest you. Yes, they might put you to death. Yes, there might be bad news. Yes, marriage might be crumbling. Yes, the children may be addicted to drugs. Yes, you may not be getting the job. Yes, you may not get the visa. Yes, things may be being delayed in your life. But none of those things will move you. None of those things will shake you. None of those things will separate you. Why? Because the love of God has been revealed to you. And once it's revealed, you don't equate anything else in life to God's love for you. And he says, I am convinced of this. I'm persuaded by this. Persuaded beyond doubt that nothing can separate me from the love of God. See, the question is, what are you persuaded about beyond doubt? What are you persuaded about beyond doubt? What do you need to be persuaded about beyond doubt? Are you going through the process in your life? When you judge your own life, when you examine your life, can you say, yes, I am coming to Jesus. Yes, I am hearing the words of Jesus and I am 
doing what I'm hearing. Because if you're not committed to those three steps, you're actually not participating in the process. That means you're not actually building a house. You might think you're building a house, it's not going to last. It's not going to last. It might look good right now, it won't last. That job, that career, it won't last. That marriage, it won't last. That parenting techniques you're using, they won't last. The relationships that you have, they won't last. Your spiritual life, it won't last. The money that you're earning right now, it won't last. Why? Because you're not going through the process. The three-step process. Come here, do. Come here, do. Come here, do. Come here, do. Repeat, 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 repeat. Repeat, 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 repeat. All the days of your life. And as you keep doing that, you'll be hitting revelation knowledge. Hitting revelation knowledge. Hitting revelation knowledge. Hitting revelation knowledge. Things will get clearer to you and clearer to you and clearer to you and clearer to you and clearer to you. And that's what God has for you. And that's what Paul was praying. And that's why I'm encouraging every one of you, pray that over your life every day. That revelation knowledge will flow freely in your life. That the spirit of wisdom and revelation knowledge will be made manifest in your life. Every day of your life. Amen.